Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Today on the podcast, we have a gentleman by the name of Todd. I met him through my wife. He and his wife were overseas at the same time as my wife was, before she was my wife, or are you confused yet? Anyway, the other day we got to meet up with Todd and Terry, and as we were talking, uh, Terry mentioned, and she just said, you know, more than anybody else I know, Todd continues to make disciples, even though he's working a full-time job. And I know that's one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast, or the challenge for a lot of people going from making disciples in college, or in a college ministry setting, get into the workplace, and that just kind of kind of dropping off. And so I invited Todd on uh, today to talk about that, talk about his experiences. And here is Todd. Hey, Todd. Glad you could join us today. How are you? I'm doing good, James. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So uh, I have you on specifically. I want you to, to talk about uh, what it's like to work a full-time job and make disciples, because that seems to be a lot of challenge people have. But before we get into there, I just kind of want to ask you, like, what's your background? How did you first get into disciple-making? What does disciple-making mean to you? Tell us a little of that story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So my first exposure to discipleship was uh, at New Mexico State University, where I went to school. I was a part of the BSU Christian Challenge Ministry there. Um, the the director there, and actually still there, uh, is David Englehart. Mm-hmm. And uh, David kind of, I mean, really started off in one-one discipleship. Mm-hmm. Basically, the principle is one-on-one, life-on-life um, discipleship, which really, I think David would agree, is it It kind of came from Max Barnett, who was okay. Oklahoma, B- BSU ministry, um, Dawson Trotman, mm-hmm. uh, who's pretty well-known. Uh, so it's a long lineage of, of discipleship. That was my first exposure was in that ministry. Uh, whenever I was a sophomore, uh, a gentleman named Hugh Floyd, who had been discipled by David, I said, hey, Todd, I'd like to meet with you once a week and um, do some discipleship, learn uh, what that means, and, and study the Word together, pray together. Was he another a student, or was he an adult in the in the area? Yeah, so he he was two years older than me, student in the BSU. Okay, okay. So then you started being discipled by him, and yeah. then I assume at some point in time you started discipling yes, others there. I mean— yeah, exactly. Uh, Hugh and I met until he left, um, but that that relationship changed. I mean, through discipleship, I think you know at the beginning it's a lot of teaching, it's a lot of coaching. Uh, then it kind of takes a transformation into a mutual edifying relationship, mm-hmm. um, and then it's kind of you're together working for the gospel and the kingdom of God, and you're you're helping one another to do that. And so right. it went through stages uh-huh. of that, um, and then you know. Whenever I started feeling like I was more of a, a counterpart of, of Hughes is when he he started challenging me to, hey, why don't you do this with someone else? Uh, mm-hmm. Now we, I can go meet with someone else as well, and um, I'll still be here. I'll still coach you through it. Mm-hmm. So I started discipling another young man and um, did that. So then, you know, that became really when it was started taking form in my life. So it had, had such a drastic impact on me through Hugh. 
um, just personally, the way that I uh, studied the word, the way that I prayed, um, the intimacy that, that I had with Christ through that discipleship grew so much that I saw the, you know, the benefits of it that, yeah, then it became, well, man, I need to do this with, <laughs> with more guys when I can, mm-hmm. if I, you know, it, this is so uh, life changing for me. And, mm-hmm. and then I started seeing it in other men that, uh, life, life changing, I mean, just, uh, the, the dedication to the cross, the, uh, the form that it takes and really developing people from just a cultural Christian, uh, you know, focused Christian into what I would call a worker, you know, just a worker for Christ, someone who they get it, they're starting to form their own theologies, they're using theologians, they're reading, they're studying, and they're developing rich theology on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they go and transform other people's lives through that. And so trying to raise up men to get to the point where they're a worker uh, is really the goal. So, mm-hmm. so I, it, it took fire in my heart. Um, also something that I kind of naturally have, you know, some affection for is relationship. I like, I like getting to know people. Um, and so it, it kind of fit naturally for me in that, um, it was something that I really enjoyed doing anyway, which is relation building, trying to get into people's lives, being real with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I obviously enjoyed that part of it. Um, and then I, I joined staff with David. Um, and so, became a, a part of a ministry staff for um, about two and a half, three years okay. with David, partnered there at the BSU. And and then my calendar opened up because I didn't have classes anymore. I didn't have homework. <laughs> uh, being an engineering student, that freed up a boatload of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so I joined ministry and was able to disciple, you know, seven to eight guys through the, the course of a semester, as well as take them on campus doing uh, evangelism training which mm-hmm. in many ways took the form of discipleship. It was kind of a secondary discipleship where you're teaching people to share the gospel. You're also having very, very meaningful kingdom conversations with them and growing them and challenging them in their faith. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, you know, in ministry, I had a lot of, a lot of time, time to do that. So that, w- that was really it kind of expanded there. Um, then my wife and I went overseas. I saw a different take. Yeah. Well, on it. And so that, I mean, really your question was, how did I get into discipleship? Which that's it. I mean, it, uh-huh. it took form through Hugh and through that BSU ministry. Um, David's philosophy, I would, would call it, you know, the statement of the, the BSU was more time spent with fewer people uh-huh. equals a greater lasting impact for the kingdom of God. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a pretty good And I think that that, that in essence is really, I've I found it, not only did I think that was a great profound statement. Mm-hmm. 22 years later, I find that's a very true statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of countercultural, though, or counterintuitive. You know, it, it, uh, it, agreed. It's not, it's what Jesus said, and that's why we need to obey it, and it works. But it's not, <laughs> in our natural human planning, that's the way we would never plan to build a kingdom that way. You know, we'd, that's true. Well, we'd rather get it done faster if we could. And that's why, you know, I think people. Instead of seeing perseverance, they they would like the quicker route if mm-hmm. if possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like? You went overseas. What was it like switching to uh, you know from from discipling men that at least had some they at least had some cultural understanding to all of a sudden you're around just 
uh, I'm going to say complete lostness, although there were some believers there. But like, how did that transition go? How did uh, your understanding of discipleship affect your time there? Were you there two years? Is that right? Or was it three? Yeah, it ended up being about two and a half. Okay. We had, my wife and I had both been there individually as well as together on short term trips. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of knew the culture to some degree. Um, The difference, so even stateside for me, I spent quite a bit of time on a basketball court. Okay. Um, It seemed to be the place I found people and Mm -hmm. where we related well. Mm -hmm. And so I did that at, uh, New Mexico State, I, I spent a lot of time at the basketball court because um, that was where I met lost people. I also met um, new believers, some that believed but weren't following. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually yielded a great deal of relationships through that. Well, you go to East Asia, and they like to play basketball there, and <laughs> there's a lot of lostness surrounding you. And uh-huh. I think you know part of it, because I had a great desire for basketball, I became fairly good at it because I wasted a lot of time playing it. Uh-huh. And there was some respect through that. And I think we're given these natural entrances into into people's lives. And mm-hmm. one of those for me, the natural entrances through basketball, because I can play basketball and, and I, I'm fairly good at it, which people give you some degree of respect through that. And it, mm-hmm. it actually gives you an entrance into their lives where they want to get to know you. They want you to know them. And mm-hmm. so... I found that whenever you know I ended up in Asia, I, it, it wasn't a great deal different other than there wasn't that cultural Christian feel to it, right? Because mm-hmm. like you said, pretty much everyone around, around you is lost. Um, and that can be daunting. And like we talked about, you know, the, the desire is to do something quickly and to get the, the word out, get the gospel spread quickly and as broadly as you can. I think I learned while I was there that, you know, it's still perseverance and, uh-huh. and it's still that fewer, you know, more time spent with fewer people is going to lead to a greater lasting impact. And so what I ended up doing is there were a few people that, you know, I had entrance into their lives. I started talking to them about, um, you know, intimate details of their life. And I, it is interesting, though, I found that generally finding people one-on-one was the best way to get the real story out of them. And so, uh, uh-huh. you know, that, that was impactful to me and that I had a, there was a group of guys that I'd play basketball with. It's all, you know, didn't speak a whole lot of English because most of those guys didn't. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's an educational thing. Yeah. They liked basketball, not English, but we spoken. Uh, that's right, man. They didn't have time to study English. They're playing basketball, but I would hang out with all of them. And then, there was one in particular who just felt a, a pretty natural relationship with, and mm-hmm. he wouldn't share a whole lot with his other friends whenever they were present. But the the second he would be alone, it was almost like the depths of his soul would start pouring out, you know, whether mm-hmm. things his father did to him as a child or, or um, things that he found hard in the culture. He, he didn't really feel like he could express that to everyone, even his closest friends. Mm-hmm. But when we were alone, it seemed like there was just this openness and a transparency that wasn't there any other time. Mm-hmm. And so it, culturally, I don't, I don't know that there was a huge, I mean, there's a language barrier, which was mm-hmm. difficult yeah. in that. But I think there was the same connection with him as there was, you know, on the state side. So whenever you break it down on an individual level, it didn't feel 
And I still had the same like heart for him. I wanted him to believe. Not only did I want him to believe, I wanted him to become a worker. I wanted him Mm -hmm. to take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so it didn't look a whole lot different other than most people that were coming into the BSU when I was in ministry there already had a foundation. Most of them were believers. Mm-hmm. It was just a challenge to take them further mm-hmm. and to say, hey, it's not just about going to church. It's not just about what you're doing right now. It's about a very, very intimate relationship with Christ and then taking that to others and, and trying to teach them how to gain that and building up workers, building up a work workforce for the king yeah i want to ask you one more question about overseas and then i want to transition on with that did you find the lack of a cultural christianity did that make it easier or harder to engage people easier harder to make disciples yeah that's a good question i think it, it could be it depends on how real people are willing to get with you mm-hmm. is really what it comes down to and I think that there you could. I met with some people when I was in ministry at the BSU who had been raised in the church. They knew all the right answers, mm-hmm. so they could go through a study with me or read some scripture with me, and they knew all the right answers. But it was whether or not they were willing to get get real mm-hmm. and, and say, you know what, I know I know this is the answer, but here's a question I have, mm-hmm. or here's something I've been struggling with that I just don't get. And and mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I didn't disciple people if they weren't willing to get there. Mm-hmm. And so, what did you? What did, I, I think? It, what did the you hard say thing to picking that out? Yeah. So uh, let's say you're discipling me, and I'm not willing to get real with you. How did you? How did you handle that? Hit the road, sucker! Well, I never. <laughs> I actually never would have started in, into that relationship. So I'm very upfront before committing mm-hmm. to a discipling relationship mm-hmm. of what I expect, and I I try try to know that person well enough to know if they're real or not. Mm -hmm. And my wife would tell you, I have a, there's a, I I have this gift of discernment that Mm. it's not always right, but it's fairly good on Mm -hmm. knowing if people are real and willing to go deep or not. Mm -hmm. And so I I use that. I mean, I use that to my advantage of not wasting my time. Um, Mm -hmm. If I really don't feel like someone is willing to be real, and God isn't leading me to that person. Mm-hmm. I just I choose not to disciple them because mm-hmm. they're they're not who I'm looking for. I, I have a very limited amount of time. I I want to invest it well. Uh, and not to say that I have always invested well or that that discernment was always right. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think that God will sometimes lead you to someone who is not real, allow you to enter into that relationship for some other purpose in their life. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what that is, I don't know. I felt like whenever I've gotten done with that, like, why did you let me waste time with this person? Mm-hmm. But there is a purpose in that. I I think that it's probably not time wasted. It's just a different different purpose than what the other ones have resulted in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, yeah. Why did Jesus spend three years with Judas? You know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a reason. Yeah. Right. There's a, there reason. Is a reason for that. There's a reason. And I think yeah. if Jesus lost one out of eleven. You know, I, there's gonna there's gonna be some failure. <laughs> gonna be people that don't don't go on to make disciples, or don't yeah, go on to even believe. Right. You know, if you're if you're discipling lost people, I mean, we. I'm sure you had some of those yeah. overseas the people that you invested in, and it's like, oh, you're still friends, still think about them, but yeah, lost his case. Yeah. 
Yeah. I never, never believe or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about, exactly. so switching in, like, so you come back from East Asia, is that when you jumped into being an engineer, full-time working? So pretty, pretty soon thereafter, I, whenever we got back, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. We, we had thought we would probably end up overseas for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the plan. I, I went immediately back into school oh, okay. and got a master's degree in engineering. Okay, we were heading overseas, and several mentors uh, in my life said, "Todd, you've you've now got two degrees in engineering, and you still haven't used either of them. <laughs> uh, perhaps there's a different plan here." Mm-hmm. And uh, so, actually, I listened to that voice, and so I went and found an engineering job. And that's it was about two years after returning that I started this, you know, work workday world of you know eight mm-hmm. nine hours a day. I'm doing something that uh takes engineering so Mm -hmm. yeah so how did that transition go from it just specifically in terms of of disciple making how was that transition where all of a sudden you know you just got hours of your day that that you're committed to something else how did you yeah well first of all it was a really hard transition for me um having a heart in ministry and kind of wanting to end up overseas i found myself really emotional almost every morning driving to work that I didn't know if I could go in the doors again the next day. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. It was a hard adjustment to me because I did feel like for a long time, you know, every hour that I spent there just felt kind of a loss. Um, like what, what does this matter in eternity? Like this, mm-hmm. this really doesn't matter at all. Um, but I felt called there for some reason. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's kind of evolved for me through the, the work experience. Um, partially Terry and I, my wife and I have always been together to this point. Every hour of every day, we pretty much were together. We were in ministry together. We were overseas together. It it was a fun experience that we were together on. And now I'm spending eight, nine hours a day away from that, which Mm is, you know, that's a support. That's an encouragement that I don't have anymore for eight, nine hours a day. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was tough. Going into work, you don't know um, what the purpose is. But, you know, gradually I started realizing, well, there's obviously people at work. Um, mm-hmm. You can't stand at the water cooler all day <laughs> talking to people about purposeful things. Mm-hmm. But there are opportunities and there are moments that you can interject into people's lives and start to um, affect them. And so mm-hmm. I was at this, this place of work for about two and a half years. Uh, it was a very liberal environment, um, and so that was that was challenging for me because majority of people around me didn't believe in Christ. They would, they often believe the, the opposite of that. Obviously, all different religions in that in that workplace. Mm-hmm. But the after two years, it was funny going away party. Someone said, "Well, there's one thing I do know about Todd. He will always." Talk about the things you're not supposed to talk about at work, <laughs> which is politics and religion. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, but several of those people, even it was really a. I think this was a bit of a catalyst for me. Is that whenever I left that place of work, several people stood up and talked about the personal impact that I had had on their lives, mm-hmm. and not because they became believers, but because of you know, something I did, um, for their family or something I did for them personally, mm-hmm. you know, my boss even stuff. He's like, you know, I'm not going to really talk about Todd's work ethic or 
what he did at the work. But, you know, when I was in the hospital, you know, he took care of this for me. He brought me groceries right after. Um, that was really impactful in a place where I didn't have anyone to help. Like mm-hmm. just things like that, that were, were what was most impacting to them, mm-hmm. which then made me realize this makes a big impact on people's lives. Uh, the ability to get in there and try to share things that are real. Um, everyone goes through problems in life. Everyone's dealing with issues, mm-hmm. not unsimilar to mine. Um, and so being able to say, Hey, there's, there's open doors here into people's lives. Take those that God gives us that are open, um, doors. You know, the other thing that I started to do was just try to talk to everybody. I think it's a, it's a huge uh, void in people's lives that people don't ask Mm -hmm. about their lives. And so Mm -hmm. taking car rides with these folks, we go look at projects. You know, it was funny. This two ladies had worked together for 10 years um, and I was sitting in the back and I started asking them questions, you know, about their life. Where are you from? You know, what, you know, you have siblings, things like that. They, they didn't know any of this about each other. They worked together uh, for 10 years. 10 years. You know, I'd been there uh-huh. a couple months and they just had never asked the questions. And so uh-huh. I, I think there's just a, a great opportunity. People like to talk about themselves if you ask them questions about themselves. And mm. that starts to build open doors into their life lives and you start asking about things and it's amazing to me the things that people are willing to share with you in their lives if you'll just take a moment to ask them some questions and and let them know that you you'd like to hear about it um, mm-hmm. and I think that I started doing that in particular to two friends um, and it, you know it's mostly guys for me I try to try not right. to build a lot of relationships with women at, at work I, you know mm-hmm. I, it has its place I try to work with them well but whenever I try to more depth it was always with my male co-workers I was trying to really talk to um and so a couple of them are still friends today we still get together a lot neither of them believe in Christ but mm-hmm. we still have conversations about it we're still uh-huh. talking about it uh-huh. there's been some that were Christians in the workplace that I think more of an encouragement right just to challenge mm-hmm. each other in the workplace to live for Christ and to mm-hmm. take it further in this first workplace I never did just bring about any disciples like no one who mm-hmm. said okay i yeah. believe now take me to a worker or anyone who said hey i already believe you but i'd like to go deeper there wasn't anyone that that happened with mm-hmm. fast forward to this the other job i have there's been lots of that um, okay and so i think it's been a, a gradual progression of trying to figure it out how to uh-huh. do that one guy in particular i'll give you an example but so i started working at this different place um a, a young man was there a little bit younger than me and uh, engineer, we started talking, doing lunch. So we'd go to lunch a few times. He and I just had lunch today. In fact, I actually talked to him about kind of our discipling relationship. He now has a Bible study in his house. Okay. He went from, so basically our first conversation went kind of like, you know, we had already built up to this. We had a relationship. We were already yeah. ready being pretty transparent about um, relationships. He had a girlfriend at the time. We already started talking about biblical principles. Basically, was like, "Hey, you know what? So tell me about your belief. You know, what? Do, what do you believe? What's our purpose? What? What? He grew. He grew up Catholic, but he really believed in Christianity. I said, "Well, tell me about a time that you really accepted Christ into your heart." And he couldn't really nail down a time, which is mm-hmm. okay. 
but we started talking about the gospel and without a doubt, I mean, he believed and he, mm-hmm. and we just confirmed that together, you know, through our time of discipleship. So we started with lunches. I said, Hey man, would you like to start discipling? He said, well, I don't know what that looks like. I said, okay, well, let's meet. You know, let's pick a time of day and meet. And that way we can bring our Bible. We can study. We don't have lunch. We just can talk. So after work, which is really hard on both of us, after mm-hmm. work, we'd meet for an hour, go to a church that was nearby, meet in their lobby, start discipling. We started Bible studies. Um, I always start with Jonathan and the armor bearer. Mm. The story First uh, Samuel 14, where you know, Jonathan goes ahead of his armor bearer. He's the leader. The armor bearer is actually supposed to be in front of him. Why, why is he doing this? You know, um, they basically got them all pinned into a corner. Saul's the king. And uh, Jonathan decides that he's going to go up and attack the Philistines. And he tells his armor bearer, we'll know, you know, God's with us if, if they do this. And mm-hmm. goes up, destroys them all. Armor bearer's behind him. And we talk about that relationship that they have where Jonathan is... He is leading. He's following God. And he asked the armor bearer, go with me. And the armor bearer has to go with him because he's an armor bearer. But the armor bearer doesn't say that. He mm-hmm. says, go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Mm-hmm. He did not have to say that, right? right. He did not have to say that. Yeah. But he believed in Jonathan's character enough to follow him. And that, that's how I start with discipleship is say, look, I'm not perfect. I'm probably not as good as Jonathan, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go fight. And I'm going to take on the Philistines in my world. And I want you to go with me. You can be in or you can be out. It's okay with me. The way we're still friends. Um, mm-hmm. I've got limited time. I have two little girls. I've got a job that I have to do. I've got some other responsibilities. I really don't have time to waste. And mm-hmm. if you're not in and you don't want to grow into a worker, and you don't want to do this with somebody else, or you're not willing to do it with someone else, given the training, mm-hmm. I don't want to meet with you. And you can have the next week to think about it, pray about it. Mm-hmm. What's that? I was going to say, let's save us both at the trouble if you don't want to do this, you know, let's not do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we don't, there's not a reason that we need to do this unless you want to do it and are committed to it. And I, you know, I say, I'm committed to this time if you are. He came back and said, yeah, absolutely. I want to do this. I want to learn more of the Bible. I think you're a guy that can teach me that. I believe in you. I want to follow you. And, mm-hmm. and so we started, and that was probably five years ago. Um, and now, I mean, he's a peer to me now. I, mm-hmm. I get as much encouragement out of him as he does me, maybe more. Um, he's teaching a Bible study in his, in his home. But it was hard to do that. I mean, it took a lot of time out of our my schedule, his schedule, finding times to meet working around work schedules, church things, other responsibilities, mm-hmm. but we did it. And, uh, and I tell you what, it's been very rewarding. And there's been a couple of other that I'm starting, you know, one in particular, I started to pick up now. I'm in a mm-hmm. management role now, which is a little dicey, um, mm-hmm. just because you can't disciple people who are your subordinates. That, that doesn't work. Um, but I did move on from one job to a next and, this other guy in particular, kind of, we struck it off a bit, and uh, he had some taste, I guess, for the gospel. And uh-huh. um, he and I just had lunch the, last week and talked about all kinds of things. You know, he was very transparent, very open, um, uh-huh. but he was kind of one of those that said, "You know, I've always believed in God." And uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, yeah, I kind of start 
start soft, right? Of course, the next conversation uh-huh. we'll have is how, you know, even the demons believe that there's God. It, uh-huh. You know, that doesn't help. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so kind of taking him to the next step of, do you want to believe in Christ? Do you want to make uh, this life count? I mean, mm-hmm. really talking about the gospel is the next step. Yeah. But I kind of feel like until you get into their lives and you, you show yourself as trustworthy and transparent and they show themselves as trustworthy and transparent, you're never going to really get to where you want to get if, if that's not already established and not something that you can establish. And so mm-hmm. right now I'm trying to establish that with him just as I, I did with the other guy, um, you know, establish that relationship. And then it's a slow process in the work world, um, mm-hmm. particularly when they're not believers already mm-hmm. um you know the bsu was very fast for me people were coming in christians i said mm-hmm. i want to spend time with you and disciple uh, they're like well hey you're you know assistant director at the bsu of course i want to meet with you that'd be great mm-hmm. and here we go mm-hmm. and in fact six months later they're kind of a worker mm-hmm. not been the case so far in in the workplace uh it may may transform to that at some point i i think I'm still gaining ground on how it's done well. But there's mm-hmm. only a limited amount of time, too. I couldn't take, you know, yeah. probably how two many, people. That about your I was going to ask, how many could you disciple at one time? I think at the most in my week, I could probably do two in discipleship. Mm-hmm. But see, the, the nice thing is that they could be at different stages, you know, right. kind of discipling one, building a relationship with the other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot easier to go to lunch with people or get coffee. Um, and so a lot of that relationship building can take place during that. I think it's really hard to have a good discipling discussion at a, you know, getting lunch. It, mm-hmm. The guy that uh, I discipled already, he and I get lunch once a week, but that's not, I wouldn't consider it discipleship, although it does. Yeah. We're always talking about, hey, what about this or what about that? Um, it's kind of what it's morphed into. Um, but in order to get people started, into discipleship and get them to a worker. I think that takes a lot more focused time. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part that's really hard because, mm-hmm. I, you know, every hour I take after work is a time I take from my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that becomes really difficult when you throw in date nights and mm-hmm. kid nights and we try to do family things and then get the kids to bed by a reasonable hour. So they're not tired for school. Mm-hmm. It gets overwhelming at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Does is your wife discipling somebody other than your children right now, or is hers? You know, like as a family, like what's happening? Yeah. So she is. Um, she's in. She's got one discipleship relationship going on right now, um, mm-hmm. and it's with a. She she has a little bit more flexibility during the days, um, although during the summer it's not so because she has the kids with her. Mm-hmm. You know, this situation. This is a store owner, so she's. She's operating a store while they meet, and it's they've got kind of a back room that the kids can play in, and so uh-huh. it actually works okay for that. So yeah, she is uh, she's actively discipling others. I think uh, she would agree it's been a bit of a process for her with kids and how mm-hmm. that looks. The other thing is you know in ministry as well as you know when we were overseas, I feel like we were also discipling people on our team, mm-hmm. as well as people who are coming in for short-term trips. There's a lot of discipleship that was naturally occurring because mm-hmm. that's how it was set up. Um, mm-hmm. I think ministry is a very natural place to disciple. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas where we're at now is not, there's not anything natural about it. It's finding those pockets of life where there's, there's an opportunity to get into someone's life, disciple them up mm-hmm. and do that. So, and I think she's been learning, you know, how do I do that with kids and newborns? And I mean, we're just now, now we're at the point where we have eight and four year old. Mm-hmm. That's a lot easier, I wow. think. And she's starting to find that out. It's a little bit easier to, you know, get mm-hmm. some time. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to find time. I mean, time is, time is precious. A commodity, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It really yeah. is. It is. So if you had somebody, because I feel like a lot of the story that I've heard from different people that, that were in discipleship in college, it's like, and then they got in the workplace and it's just, it's gone. They can't fit in their life. If you had someone that came mm-hmm. to you say, man, I'd like to get back. I, I was, I was disciple. I was making disciples. Where would you have them start? Now I'm working a 40 hour week job. How would you have them begin? What would you mm-hmm. encourage them toward? I would encourage them to find uh, that person in their workplace that they feel like they have the most connection with um, mm-hmm. or is maybe the most willing to to engage in, in a mm-hmm. relationship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was one guy in particular at my last place of work. We couldn't be any further from each other. I mean, he, he is not an athlete at all. Uh, he likes to do a lot of um, furries. He's a furry, so he dresses up in like costumes. Ah, goes to comic cons and like uh-huh. he has all these routines. He's a fascinating person, right? He goes. Uh, he's got this bear costume that he's Santa bear out on the street, you know, <laughs> during the Christmas time. And anyway, Democrat, you know, just very liberal. But he was one of the most willing guys to sit and chat about religion and uh-huh. what he believes and how he just can't fathom that there's this loving God. And Uh so though he still doesn't believe, I still go to lunch with him all the time and we don't work together or anything, but Mm -hmm. find that person in your workplace who you can strike up a good relationship with, which he's also incredibly honest Mm -hmm. with things, right? He's very transparent. He doesn't hide anything from me. He'll tell Mm -hmm. me exactly what he thinks of me. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts. Um, those are the pe- uh-huh. people that I, I always say someone who's willing to just be honest with who they are and they live in the reality that they believe is uh-huh. way better than someone who's faking Christianity or faking who they are, or trying to put on a good scene for someone. I would mm-hmm. much rather have someone that's real because at least at least they're living in truth. Mm-hmm. It may be wrong. But they're being true to who they are and, yeah. and who, what they really believe, and they're telling you that. Mm-hmm. And they're willing. Um, to think I think about you can something. do a lot with somebody who's exactly, yeah. So I, that's what I'd say. I'd say first start with uh, really taking an honest look around of who who is that person that I want to start uh, building that relationship with, and then hey, do you know? Is there a day that we can go have lunch every day? You know, every week. Yeah. One day that we can pick, we're just going to go do lunch together every week mm-hmm. and then be consistent about that. Mm-hmm. Be consistent with like, We get coffee on Thursday mornings. That's what we do. Yeah. And that builds a, it builds that camaraderie with that person where you can take it deep, deeper. And then you'll know, I mean, it, it may be you have two months of this and you're like, man, this guy, no way that he'll go any deeper. Um, and, and then you kind of look around for someone else that, that you think, well, maybe they're the one to 
be going a little deeper, you know, and Mm -hmm. praying about it and really seeking that. I think that's the key. And then being willing to take that time. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is you've got to be sure that you are um, transparent and that mm -hmm. you are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be that in order to get someone to share that with you. Mm-hmm. So if you're not willing, not willing to be transparent with your life and you're not willing to be trustworthy with what they give you, you got to start there. I mean, don't even try it. Don't even try mm-hmm. to discipleship unless you can get there. Mm-hmm. If you can, then go find the other person that is willing to do that with you. Yeah. And then you, and it, you can build a disciple out of that. Yeah. And if you can, if you can't go there, but you want to go there, then go find somebody, find a mentor to help you. you yeah. know, find someone more mature that will disciple you. You may need a little more discipleship yourself. We all need some, we all need some help, you know. And, and uh, Yeah, that's a good point. If you're meeting with a guy for two months, you decide, man, this, this isn't ever going to go. How do you end that relationship? Well, I think you can keep the relationship. It just, uh, you're less willing to give time to it. Uh-huh. And I don't think that has to look real weird. I, that's why I wouldn't start a discipling relationship until, you know, it's almost like a commitment. It's not, I would, wouldn't go as far as to say it's like a marriage, but it, it is a commitment. Discipleship mm-hmm. is a commitment to another person. And you don't want to get in, into that without knowing mm-hmm. it's solid. So mm-hmm. the relationship is really you're just getting coffee and you're talking mm-hmm. about things. Um, it's pretty easy to say, hey, man, I don't have time this week. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, can we change it to every other week? Or um, mm-hmm. can we meet once a month? I'm, I'm just not able to meet with as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can keep that relationship going. You still want a friendship with them, I, I would assume. If yeah. it's someone that you're willing to go have some coffee with, but they're not, not willing to go any deeper, you probably still want to be friends with them to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't give that extra time of, hey, let's meet after work too. Uh-huh for another hour, hour and a half, um, you're not going to go there. Yeah. Would it be fair to say it's almost like you're using your lunch hour to like mine around, searching around for building relationships, but also searching (laughs) around like, okay, who's the person that that God has for me to to spend the time with? And like you're using time that's kind of, it's free time. It's you're you're already going to use that time. It's away from home anyway. And then then the time that you're taking from home, you're putting that in the guy or guys, couple of guys. Is that a fair? That is incredibly accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Okay, we're going to end the episode here today. It was some pretty good strategy, wasn't it? My plan will be to release the second part of the interview in just a few days. In the meantime, do me a favor and send me an email. Tell me what your biggest challenge is in making disciples. Is it getting started? Is it knowing what to do with the guy when you're discipling him? Something else? Let me know and we'll either try to address it ourselves or find somebody who can. You can send me a, an email at podcast at luke5.com. All right, see you next time. Go and make some disciples. Mm-hmm.